This episode is being recorded out of Shop Talk Podcast Studios in Oak Park, Michigan. For more information, visit www.shoptalkpod.com. Pink suits with hats to match. Big cracker dolls and Cadillacs. You looking for the fattest sacks. This is where it's at. Windows tinted. Seats for lyric line. Keep the hands on the burner. Cause niggas know that it's money on the Yo, what up, though? It's your man, Jake Johnson, a.k.a. the Tim Foyle Hat Titan, a.k.a. the Conspiracy Realist, a.k.a. the Technology Snob, Steve Jobs Jr., Don't Text Him With Your Green Bubbles, a.k.a. Only Debate My Equals, Everybody Else I Teach, also known as Juice, because all the hoes say, J.U. Ice, Young Caesar, because you know you can't roam without me, Mr. If You Did It, I Done It Before, Get It, I Had It, Got Mad At It, Don't Want It No More. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. What up? And it's your man Dame Gone Wild, the West Side Landlord, the Pride of Puritan Ave, the liquor store legend, the corner store conquistador, the mogul in the making, an icon in training, and a modern day sex symbol. You're welcome. Welcome back. <laughs> welcome back, Shop Talk Podcast, episode fifty-three, aka Season Two. Season two on. Yeah, we gotta we gotta find out a way to break this shit up. But I mean, we a year in, and this next year, season two was already starting to turn into some shit that's gonna be epic. For sure, we're gonna have a really dope season two. Yeah, we got some shit. I'm not. Let's just put positive vibes out there. Positive vibes. We got energy. Like the next two or three episodes might be the tipping point. Yeah, and it's a pretty. We got we got a pretty guest, a pretty good guest, pretty guest, and a pretty good guest uh, lined up today. So I think they're going to enjoy this episode as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so let's talk about what, what happened this week, man. I know last <laughs> night was the NBA draft. Uh, yeah, Lonzo Ball went number two. And Magic, the best point, the second best point guard to ever play the game. Who's the best? Isaiah Thomas. If you're from Detroit and you say anyone else, you should be prepared to fight. I feel like Isaiah Thomas is the best point guard ever. Magic Johnson is the second best. Uh, Came out and said that Lonzo is the new face of the Lakers. I'm with that. and um, I have no hate for that at all. uh, Prophet LeVar Ball, you know, he he called this shit. Prophet LeVar Ball. Is that not what he is? I I mean, mean, did he he not call this shit months ago? He spoke it into existence. He told Jaw that the Lakers were going to get – that ball, the ping pong ball in the in the draft lottery, to get up really high so they can get LeVar Ball, and he's going to go number two, Was going to go for the Lakers. Hey, man, the Lord even said in the Bible, you can move mountains if you believe so. I'm saying. So shout out to them, dog. I mean. I'm you, not mad at nothing that. Did you see the the, 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 the L.A. version? The ZO, uh, the ZO2s? They look kind of cold. They look kind of cold, dog. I, I mean, I want a pair, dog. They're the Kobe 8s without the swish on it. I mean, I like them, dog. I, I came front. They they look pretty dope. Yeah. And he put them bitches on right after he got drafted. He put them on before he hit the stage. And all this official pictures and everything. Hella promo, dog. You know, Lakers have the most. They have 28 million followers. On what? Instagram? On Twitter. God damn. Like, that's the most of any sports team. Like, how much you think the Lakers are worth? I if we were to no put idea. a dollar value on the niggas, I mean, we can Google that shit. Google that shit right quick. Uh, it's got to be in the. It's got to be in the billions. Of course, it's in the billions. Like, no, no question, it's in the billions. Um, but think about it. Like, I got my own company, and I'm on the Lakers, and what in in La La Land. I don't even got to sell a lot to make a lot of fucking money. 
Nah, you yeah. don't. Talking all that stuff, like, what if he does? It was rumors that he was going to uh, slip in a draft. It was fake, man. Fake news. You know, it's rumors from niggas that we had said this right before we came on air. A lot of niggas play uh, basement GM, play armchair GM. Listen, you niggas barely made your JV basketball team. You ain't never played for your high school team, and you think you smarter than it. I don't care how many times the Detroit Pistons fuck up, the Lions fuck up. You are not better than them niggas, dog. Whoever in their front office, the intern, the nigga that go get coffee, is better than you. Yeah. You ain't found that shit yet, dog. Uh, I'm looking at it. Forbes has some has some pretty wild numbers in terms of <laughs> what it would cost. Hey Siri, <laughs> to buy the L.A. How Lakers. Much are the L.A. Lakers worth? It's yeah. like three billion. How much are the L.A. Lakers worth? It's like $3 billion. Yeah, that's a lot of fucking money, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they about to get paid. But, I mean, if you buy the Lakers, what's your return on investment? Ten the, years, you'll see that money back. I mean, that's a family business. Like, you're going to see that in your last name for years to come. Yeah. That's why they'll probably never they'll never sell the Lakers. No, I mean. Like, Jerry Jones will never sell the Cowboys. No, hell no. Fords will never sell the Lions. Jerry Jones will be on the field coaching before he sells the fucking uh, Cowboys. They're going to bury him underneath on the 50-yard line when he goes. They're going to bury that nigga in that big-ass uh, HD screen they got at the top. Shit is crazy. So besides the draft, oh, I guess there weren't really any. Only other surprise in the draft was Jimmy Butler getting traded to the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, who actually got a um, – a decent squad that they didn't put together, like, overnight. They got Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Ricky Rubio, and now Jimmy Butler. And uh, the, they're going to get some niggas some problems in the West. People hating And on, Tom Thibodeau is still their coach. And for some reason, Ricky Rubio don't get no love, but he averages for his career um, over eight assists and two steals a game. There's only one point guard ever who's done that, and his name's John Stockton. Uh, he's a great fucking point guard. He's he not going to shoot. He just not, can't hit that jumper. I don't need, I need you to make other people better. I need you to Lonzo ball this shit. I don't want. I don't want to shoot. You need a floor general. Yeah, and you got all them people that who demand the ball. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. The Timberwolves gonna get some niggas some problems next year. Yeah, um, North Carolina looking pretty good overnight. They got Dwight Howard in there, and they got a couple of draft. Are you talking picks. about Charlotte? Dwight Howard is a bum. He's a bust. He is a shell of his of his former self. Okay, but he still grabbed 14 rebounds a game. How many people in the NBA doing that right now? Uh, I don't know. Because he, he's not what we thought he was, whatever, but he still grabbed 14 rebounds a game. But, that I mean, he's, go damn he's damn near seven feet. Like, what do you want from your center? I want 14 rebounds a game. And Dwight Howard's <laughs> a dinosaur when you look at the NBA. He's a back-to-the-basket center. Like, nobody plays. And, like, centers are damn near extinct now. True that. You don't really see a lot of seven-foot niggas owning and patrolling the post. Yeah, I'm still needing 14 rebounds a game. And Dwight Howard's never been the same since playing with Kobe. I think Kobe They didn't really play together that much. They had a whole they had like a season or two. And both of them had like some injuries and shit. It was it was weird. Kobe will break you as a teammate though. Dwight got too many kids. That's what's wrong with him. He got like eight kids. Uh, like the more kids he got, the worse his game got. I mean, because you're ta- you're losing something every time you For have real? a child. Like his game, fiscally, emotionally, and physically, you lose something with every child. I can speak for that myself. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm I'm whole out here. Must so. be nice. I've been had I've had kids since I was grown. 
Like literally, since I was old enough to buy liquor, I've been a parent. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, oh, well, it's not fortunate, but fortunate over fortunate. But I yeah. saw some pictures. Yeah, I had a proud dad moment, man. My oldest graduated eighth grade, is going to ninth grade next year. Man, I was a crying fucking mess at this graduation. <laughs> I'm not even going to sit here in front. So I you, lo- had dad's, you had your dad's sweater on? I did have my dad's sweater on. I love my kids. I love my babies. And my oldest son is special to me because, fuck, he's the oldest. I wanted a boy first. I got a boy first. That's my name. You know, one of my namesakes. And, you know, I've done a lot of fucked up shit in life. A lot of fucked up shit. Um, but watching and raising my kids and seeing them grow up and be – you know, young men and women of integrity, smart, intelligent, you know, it lets me know that I didn't fuck everything up. They are righting my wrongs every day. So I was so you proud of myself. right now. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm probably tearing up a little bit. And then, like, I didn't know that he was graduating with honors. He kind of, like, kept that a secret to me and his mother. So when I saw him get, like, the little, the little shoulder tassel. It was the exact opposite of you. Yeah, 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 really, really. And even, uh, shout out to my niece, Makaya, because she graduated with my oldest son too, and she was the salutatorian for her class. So I mean, big fucking deal. Yeah. You know, family full of scholars. So I'm proud of, I'm proud of my bloodline. They made they made the old man proud. That's what's up. Oh, I got some good. I got good feedback on the uh, Father's Day episode. Yeah, man. A lot of people reached out to me cause when I hit the story about. Yeah. You know, my homeboy and his his son, because I can't even front like I got a little emotional then because I really love my kids, man. And I mean, if if you are a parent, if you're a dad, if you absent, you know, bro, it's not too late. It's not too late. Suck down that pride. Take care of them babies and do what you got to do. I mean, we eat shit for a lot less. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Niggas deal with a lot of bullshit just to fuck bitches or just to pop bottles or to have a couple dollars. Your boss talk to you like a fucking dog, but you won't let the woman that you had a baby with talk to you stupid so you can see your kids. Like, swallow your pride, bro. It's still time. If you out there and you absent, like, suck it up, man. Like, let them babies, you know, be a part of their lives, man. It's not too late. So, uh... What else happened this week? I feel like there's some. Oh, we finally got to see the r- real raw footage oh, of the Philando Castile shoot. That murder. Yeah, he got murdered on tape. Shit made me sick to my fucking stomach. And we went back and like listened to like some earlier episodes from season one when we literally were talking about it as it was, you know, kind of just happening in the days past. And to finally see the footage of him being killed and then to also see the footage of his wife and his baby in the back of that police car and how that baby was talking to her mama like, mom, keep it down so they don't hurt us. Mm. Shit hurt my heart, bro. Shit hurt my fucking heart that black men are still being murdered in the streets like fucking dogs. We being treated like animals. Shot down. Shot down. And the video, like the dude partner said, I don't know what I didn't know what the fuck was going on. The shit happened. They it was forty seconds they was there. So the audio, he comes up to him, he tells, Hey officer, I, I am carrying, I do have a firearm on me. Um and he said something like the officer said, Don't pull it out and he was like, I'm not gonna pull it out. Like he was very calm and everything and all of a sudden, pop, 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 pop. Like, immediately, dog. Like, shit crazy. It's just not crazy. It's just fucking depressing that that's how they treat us. Make that even more fucked up today. And uh, it was a story that broke about uh, two police officers in St. Louis. One white police officer ended up shooting a black off-duty police officer 
He shot him in the arm, but the guy was out there trying to assist. Um, so I guess there was a there was a large as a car crash or something. It was a stolen car, so the police were out there, and, and it was a shootout. So the police was out there trying to take care of the car in front of the police officer's home. So he comes outside of his home with this service weapon, um, and then I guess the officers that were on the scene uh, didn't necessarily know he was off-duty police officer, so they put him down on the ground or whatever. When they recognized who he was, you know what I'm saying, they had him get up or whatever and walking towards him. Uh um, I don't what's the what's the nigga name from um Andy? Uh damn, what's the name of that damn show? Uh well the nigga from Matlock. Andy Griffith? Yeah, what's the the horrible police officer? Bernie Fife. Yeah, Bernie Fife pulls up and shit. He jumps out the car, sees the black man, and just starts shooting. You still a nigga with the gun with a gun, even he said in front he, of your fucking he house. Said, he said he feared for his life. So you mean to tell me the other police officers, your your <laughs> Your colleagues, your colleagues who out there sitting there talking to them, they not scared of their life. You pull up, as soon as you pull up, you take your gun out, start shooting, shoot the nigga in the arm. You know, a lot of these police officers uh, got, you know, sometimes when they come out of the academy, a lot of times confrontations, this is the first time they've had another confrontation with another grown man as an adult. Yeah. And that's not the way that you want to be having it with your, with your service weapon out in these fucking streets. I don't have no sympathy for that fuck shit. You know, New Jersey just passed a bill where they will teach children how to interact with the police. And that Horrible. shit makes me fucking pissed. Horrible. Like, how to mind your master classes. No. No. You should. I shouldn't have to teach my children how to how to talk to the fucking police. You shouldn't have to, but you have to. I mean, I know as a black man raising black sons, like yeah, I might have to have that conversation with my boys about you know when you get pulled over, how to have interactions with the police because I don't want my babies becoming a hashtag. How, like, your, how your son getting to school, high school? Shit, man. The days that he's with me. He going to Renaissance, and I mean, just in the area that I live in, I can drop him off to school every day. But coming home, you know, he going to have to get on the bus. Yeah, he definitely need to have that conversation with him, how to interact with the police, because you never know why you walking home. Walking, yeah, walking from home stop. from the bus stop, you know, you may get Dark, fucked with the police. You know what I'm saying? It may, may be cold, may have a hoodie on, because I mean, that's what you should do in the cold. And I mean, as a young man, like, he's not as big in stature as I am, but I mean, he damn near six feet tall, and six feet Black male at fourteen. Yeah, I mean he gonna be by fucking around be six three or something. Yeah, so I mean he he already got that target on his back, and I just got you know for him it's like you know it's not a big deal, but like my nigga, I need you to come home every day because if something happens to my baby, mm. like nigga, you can cancel the Dame Gone Wild portion of Shop Talk podcast because I ain't gonna be no fucking good. I can only imagine, man. I don't even have children. I'm straight John Q out here, dog. For, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I don't know, man. What else? What happened this week? Uh, new music. Oh, well, before we get into new music, rest in peace, Prodigy from Mob Deep. Mm -hmm. The embodiment of East Coast rap music passed this week. Go ahead, talk about it. Yeah, man. I could say for me, Mob Deep was like helped cultivate my love for hip hop. I remember the first time I heard Shook Ones. You know, these niggas weren't much older than me. Which we, was our, our original um, theme music when we started the yeah, podcast. Yeah, it was. It was. And that's why I, I always. You know what? Maybe we should use it for this week. Just on some pay to homage. Pay, pay homage. To pay homage to Pete. But I mean, Prodigy was such. A, Mob Deep as a whole was such an in, 
such an important part to my life. You know, I remember riding home on a bus listening to Hell on Earth. You know what I'm saying? Listening to the infamous. And them words just really resonated with me. And we can, and I can even go out on a limb and say, like, when it comes to East Coast rap, when it comes to hip-hop, period, there was a point in time where Prodigy was probably one of the nicest doing it. Fucking, what was the song that I break bread, ribs, $100 bills, uh, Keep It Thorough mm-hmm. was my shit. H-N-I-C, the first album, was my shit. And Prodigy made some fucking classics. With Havoc and with Alchemist. I mean, he's going to be deeply missed. Man, I got to keep it 100, man. Um, I never was that big into uh, into Mob Deep. So my whole Mob Deep knowledge came pretty late because I was like, I'm not fuck with them. I was on the Pac side. Like, they, he ain't fuck with them. I ain't fuck with them either. Okay. So during the time where, where they were at their highest, I wasn't fuck with him. I got him on there late, so all the the classic shit I'm up on, but I don't think I've ever went back and listened to like a whole mob album. Now I re- I know they're grind and I respect them for who they are. I mean, there are certain songs that you that are just classic hip hop songs that transcend. Uh, any, Quiet storm, yeah. But um, this week definitely made me like. Let me go ahead and check. Let me let me go back and get to the to the mob deep. I mean, I was a bag. staunch East Coast. Rhyming, supporting ass niggas. So I mean, my deep just resonated a little bit differently to me. We got a motherfucking fly in the studio yeah, or something. Man, I, I see you. Shit, I see you swatting. This shit, shit is fucking with me. Let me yeah. open, open this goddamn door. Shit. So I mean, my deep resonated with me, and I, Prodigy will be remiss. You know, the world of hip hop, you know, has lost another fallen soldier, and it's proof that the good die young and fucked hard ass niggas live forever. Yeah, man, it's very unfortunate. Forty-two years old, my nigga. You know he's battling with that uh, with sickle, sickle cell. cell, and that's a that's a that's a very dangerous disease, um, illness, or however it's quantified or quantified. But uh, I mean, hip hop took a hit. Yeah, it did. It took it a definitely hit. did. Um, this weekend, the first game of Ice Cube's Big Three uh, basketball league starts off at really. Uh, in the uh, Barclays. Um, I can't actually wait, dog. I'm excited about this three-on-three league. And you have to be a former NBA player. Uh, it's just not like random people. And I've looked at all the teams. They look good. And they're not going to be out there um, like some old niggas playing like these niggas can still ball. Yeah. Um, like they still athletic. they still in good shape. I just can't play 82 games a year. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, three on three basketball is going to be a, an Olympic sport in 2020. For real, I just I just saw something. Something came across my timeline. Yeah, I think it was a FIBA. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, going yeah. to be an Olympic sport in 2020. But uh, I'm very interested in this. The games go to 60. Um, halftime is at 30. So they say games probably average about 45 minutes or so. And um, I'm interested, dog. I mean, it's a perfect niche. Think about man. Think about how dope Ice Cube is, man. Ice Cube is like one of the black superheroes. I'm starting my own basketball league. And this year is the setup. So it's a lot of players who want a ball. They were like, I'm just going to watch this year, see how, how you do it, basically. I think all the players get um, 100000 apiece um, as a base. And then depending on where they end up at. And they, they get 100000 as a base. And they also get revenue sharing for the entire thing. And basically, whoever wins a tournament get X amount of dollars, whatever, and depending on how you uh, win. 
But I'm very interested, dog. And I want some of these young kids to be able to see some. I want some young kids to see Allen Iverson play ball. I it's not the AI we grew up. We grew up with. Watch him play. Cause like you gonna tell me this man can't go out there and ball for an hour? <laughs> Please. I didn't watch. You know what I'm saying? I've been I've been following this for a while, so I've been watching some of their practices, some of their scrimmages. Oh, they out here. The jumper's still there. He's still going to the rack. He's still crossing. It's three on three, dog. Uh, I mean, in the half-court setting, I mean, Allen Iverson is probably still more dangerous than than most niggas. Yeah. But, I mean, this ain't the AI to cross Jordan. To cross, you think the crossover don't work no more? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the crossover is just a little – it's lost a step. It's lost a step. Watch the game. I mean, I'm not saying that, like, I could fuck with AI. Like, he could put up 50 on me right now but i'm just saying overall it's not the same ai we grew up with but like this you i don't know you i don't know if you follow like the drew league yeah the niggas go out there in the drew league and he go out there and play ball with the Catino mobley be balling in the fucking drew baron league. davis still out there putting up 50 baron davis got a jerry curl i can't take that nigga seriously dog nigga og out here dog. he got a jerry curl nigga og and he get money on the movie tip like he got some real good smart investments or whatever shout out to them but shout out to Ice Cube, man, because right after the NBA season, there's nothing on television. Baseball is whack until, like, September. Baseball is only good if you go see it in person. I can't watch uh, it on TV. It's horrible in person, too, uh, especially if you go to the Tigers game because they They, they are to, sucking ass. They refuse to play music in there. They won't put the game on that big-ass screen there. And it's, their pitching sucks ass. It's just 100% quiet. Like, y'all could live in the experience. I don't know. Up. I went to a Tigers game a couple weeks ago, but it was a close-ass game, so the shit was I mean, the game, was like, the game itself, if you, if you enter, I mean, if you like baseball, cool. But I'm saying the experience inside of the game is whack. Yeah, I give you that. Like, it could be a lot better. Um, but shout-out to Ice Cube, man, because this could be big. Like, this could rival. It, it's, a, it's a league. <laughs> like, he, he created his own league. As, at some point, there was there was an NBA and there was an ABA, and then they merged together. It was two different hoop leagues, and they merged together. You know, he's got a Florida's negotiating with him because the venue for the fight is the same weekend as the Big Three Championship. Yeah. So Floyd gonna have to cut a check to Ice Cube. Yeah. You know, man, ain't shit. Make him pay hundred million. Anybody getting you hundred million? Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's not gonna be no chump change. It's going to be worth their while. Because I know you got it. I mean, it's going to be worth their while. He was on Breakfast Club talking about that. He's like, you know, they working. They've been, they been working out. I mean, he has the he has the location, but that that location has an extra 3,000 seats than the MGM, so they want to make more money for the fight. And you're not about to stop that fight from going. Nah. MGM own both of the locations, you know what I'm saying? So, worst case scenario, I'll put you – I'll put y'all game in the MGM Garden Arena, and we'll put Floyd and them here. We'll throw you a couple of dollars, make it worth your while, and y'all be all right. I'll take it. Shit. What the fuck you going to do? What, what, what else can you do? <laughs> you going to muscle the champ? Nah. And probably you, not going to happen. And that's an event. You don't want to stop an event from happening. Like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime event. When you where, where are you When are you going to see arguably the best boxer of all time, definitely the best boxer of our generation, that anybody who's alive right now, who's likely seen against one of the most charismatic UFC fighters of all time. Like, dog, this is a fucking event. Yeah. Like, why would you not? Like, who? tell me who don't want to see this shit. Like, in real life. I'm not saying if you like a 
You know, you know how we is with boxing. I watch MMA too. I know this is not an MMA. Vibe. Yeah, it's not gonna be. Do I think it's going to be a great fight by any stretch? No, but it's going to be a fucking spectacle. And look, I love a good car crash. That's like what this. I want to see. I heard what you call it. Say this, Max Kellerman. Say this. Say if you walked out this building right now, you seen some people playing basketball. You seen some people playing hockey. You see some people playing football, and you see two people in the street fight, where are you going to walk over to? I'm walking to the fight. You're walking to the fucking fight. With my phone out yelling world It's sorry. natural. People want to see a fight. And these are the two most popular people. Why the fuck would you not want to see them fight? No matter what the outcome is. I think this is going to open up the door for more fights like this where you'll see an MMA fighter want to fight a boxer. It was I would have loved to see Mike Tyson and Brock Lesnar fight in their prime. I would have watched it. No, I would not want to see that. <laughs> but I went, I really wanted to see Roy Jones Jr. and Anderson Silva. I mean, that that was the fight. Oh. That they were debating this fight or trying to negotiate their fight for years, and then Anderson broke his foot. You know what I'm saying? His, whew, yeah, I remember when he fucked that foot yeah, up. Yeah, and, and then he ended up losing. He started losing fights, whatever. So, And this was an old Roy Jones, but this fight would have been more competitive because Anderson can still now, box. Roy got so. them shakes like Muhammad now, man. He, man, no, he don't. Man, Roy is on his way. And he's on he his should, way. He CTE should, is tapping that nigga on the shoulder. He should stop fighting. He got one more fight, but he should stop fighting. But he ain't shaking no shit like that. He's not shaking yet. He's not shaking fully yet. But I bet he's you that he's shaking at all. Dog. I bet you that nigga can't hold a newspaper in his hand without hearing that bitch rattle. Man, I see the nigga every week commentating the fights, dog. And he sounds like a fucking idiot. He Roy sounds Jones like sound like he always sounded. A <laughs> <laughs> nigga's from the country. He's from Florida. <laughs> like nigga sound like he always sounded. Hey man. Anyway, man, it's, it's time to bring our <laughs> guest in, dog. <laughs> so yeah, uh, this week we got an amazing guest, a good friend of mine, uh, author, writer, and just an all around dope ass woman. We got uh, Keena Day in the building with us here to talk about her recent uh, book, The Colors of My Bourgeois. And also some upcoming projects and just some amazing things that she's involved with. So we're going to get into that episode. And, uh, yeah, just hope you all enjoy. We got another great guest coming through. And I'll just intro it off. This is a good friend of mine. We go back to 10th grade English when she used to sit behind me in Miss Gates' class and fuck with me because I wasn't doing shit. I wasn't. You know, paying attention. She went on to accomplish amazing things. And, you know, from 10th grade English, I've been an important person in my life. We built a great friendship. Uh, you know, and I'm real proud to see her living her dream. You know, because a lot of people talk about living their dreams, but I can honestly say, like, watching my friend, I can see her living her dream and doing the things that she's always wanted to accomplish. So this week on the podcast, we have... Author is that is that okay to to call you writer poet educator mother uh, my good friend Keena Day came through to kick it with us on Shop Talk Podcast. Hey, what a wonderful introduction! Thank That's you so much. That's the truth. You're my biggest supporter, and I really appreciate you. You gave me a shout out in the forward of your first book. I really did. Whoa. I did. Yeah. I did. So so to give a little <laughs> backstory or just to I guess a little additional on the intro. Uh, you wrote a book and published it. It's been about a year now, mm-hmm. hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Colors of My Bourgeois. Mm-hmm. And Kina, me and her have, like I said, known each other, I guess, damn near 20 years mm-hmm. now. And she used to tell me about the book. She would send me excerpts of it. 
And I was like, damn. I would just, she would send me like a chapter or two at a time. And I would read. And I was like, this is really good. But the book was still like a work in progress. You had been, you know, it's like your first album when you're a rapper. Mm. Like you, <laughs> you work your whole life for your first album. And she had been making rewrites to it. We had talked about what it was and what the book had become. And then one day she sent me the entire book. And I read it. And I was like, this is really fucking good. I was like, what are you waiting on? <laughs> and she went back and forth with self-publishing it, how she was going to put it out. And when she finally put it out, I, I came front. Like, I support my friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not one of them. Like, if, like my homegirl, Andrea, she has a card company. When I buy cards, I buy from her. Uh, I'm Ke- a, I'm a, I, I'll put you up on it. Yeah. My homegirl, Keenan, when she put out her book, like I went on Amazon and I ordered it. I know if I probably talked to her, she would she'd have probably sent me a free one just off the yeah, love. Yeah, I want the free but, one. I want to pay. But yeah, I su- I supported it, and it's an amazing. And then book. I want you to sign my book. She did. She did. She had a book signing last year. I went out to support. She signed, autographed a copy of the book for me, and mm-hmm. you know it's a phenomenal book. So I just wanted to bring her in to talk about her the first book. I know she's got some other projects she's working on. So, so you know, this is you know this this is something that I, I haven't taught. I haven't told this to a lot of people. Like, I want to write a book. Oh, like it's really been like something I always thought about, and like I really, really want to write a book. And I've read two uh, really good books by people that I admire, and I'm impressed by them. And like, I want that. Like, I want awesome. to get my. I want to put that out there. So well, I know uh, she can she can walk us through the whole process. So, Keena, if for a second, tell us about uh, the first book. Okay, so um, the first book is called The Colors of My Boudoir, and I wrote it under a pseudonym, Kendrick Patrice, because as he said, I'm an educator, and I take that work very seriously. So try to separate the two. It's a pretty nasty book. It's very um, raunchy <laughs> in some areas, but it's not Zane all the way, and I do use great vocabulary, but... Um, It's just about a woman's journey through dating different men. And instead of the men having names, they're referred to as colors. And Mm. so the um, story kind of just goes through crimson and jade and just all these different issues. So it's really like color metaphors. So jade is um, jealous and, you know, just kind of green with envy. And crimson is full of fire and all this other kind of stuff. So they kind of take these images of what the the colors are. So pretty... um, pretty intense and it goes through a whole lot of different things she dates a white man she dates some married man what's the white man color? the white man's color is silver oh, because he's white. second place <laughs> to a black man honey Woo. yes silver <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know she she dates married men she's been the other woman she's you know dealt with all these different issues so and so even even as a man reading the book like when you read it You'll find a color in there that, that you can honestly say, like, damn, That's this kind of sound like like me because I'm not I'm not gonna say which color I felt sounded like me. But I, I sure remember, wanna know. <laughs> I remember when you Well, I'll be reading. I'll be reading this week. I need yeah, to Yeah, I remember Perfect. when you sent me the book and we had a conversation about it. And you can see pieces of yourself even even as a man in a book. So I mean, it's not just a novel for women, it's for women. It's something that I think everybody can enjoy and take something from because it speaks on relationships and if you 30 plus shit if you an adult and you dating like something in this book is mm-hmm. something that you've encountered before mm-hmm. at some point in your life so this acts so it begs a question so when you see people uh do you see color like when so i'll, I'll explain what i mean um 
some people give off certain types of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, some sounds um, give off certain, like if I hear uh, like a K sound, that sounds real jagged. So if I see a picture of something like a, a saw or something, like it's a jagged K is associated with that. Certain smoother letters are associated with different things. So if you're mm-hmm. dealing with somebody, um, do you do they that color? That's something that gives off, or was that strictly metaphorical? Um, it was strictly metaphorical, but based on like you know my knowledge of colors and things, I really believe in signs. Mm-hmm. And like, if I start dating a man, I'm gonna look up his sign and see if we're compatible. Like, I believe in those types of things. Right, right. But the colors literally was just like, what do they stand for, and how can I paint a picture of a person? Um, I'm highly influenced by. Um, for color girls who um, consider suicide when the rainbow is not enough is enough, but that really has inspired me to kind of work with colors mm-hmm. and try to see what you can do poetically to make a cohesive work in a novel. So that's pretty much what it was. But yeah, sometimes you can see color in people. I think that's dope. Sometimes you can't see who's I- yellow. <laughs> oh. oh, who got a red nose over here? <laughs> My cocaine habit is on. It's on today. Uh, shit, but man, dope ass book. So let me ask. So, so what's the follow up? What's what you got cooking? What's the plan moving forward? Well, um, I do want to first of all talk about that point that you said about men being able to read it. Um, I do have a pretty good following of men just like I do women. I do try to write as even-handed as possible. And when I am going through my writing process, I usually try to pop things out to men as well as women just to get, you know, their sentiments on that. And so with that in mind, I've kind of continued that with my second piece, which is called Aphrodisiacs. Mm. And it is going to be a collection. It is a collection, rather, because I am done with it finally. But you know me. Uh, I go through this editing phase and can't let it go and all of that. But Aphrodisiacs is um, about... It's it's a collection of poetry and essays and short stories about black love and relationships. And so um, I really try... I really hate the stigma that is on African-American men now, Mm -hmm. I really try to, you know, herald black men under all circumstances. I love black men. I know that I'm going to have to have one to be very successful. Um, You know, I just believe in the black man and the power that is inside of black men. So I wrote a whole bunch of poetry. Yes, thank you. I just believe that. And I'm raising black men, so I just, I believe in that. But um, the poems at first kind of just talk about black men and how I love them and, you know, how they make me feel and all that other kind of stuff. Right. And then it kind of goes into the historical implications and why it's so difficult for us to love each other. And that is because of the systemic things that have been put in place. Mm -hmm. You know, lynchings, you talk about um, how they break slaves in front of the family, in front of the village. When you talk about, um, you know, how they would kill our men like that. Can you imagine what Megger Evers' wife and mm. Coretta Scott King and, you know, even Fred Hampton's girlfriend, what they went through during that heinous, ex- you know, experience of losing a man because he was trying to, you know, ride for the cause. Like, that's yeah. some heavy stuff. And so I wrote about that from a historical point of view. Um, and so there are some really, really deep pieces in that second part. And the wow. third part is about um, women loving themselves. And I think that we need to really start to invest in women and making sure that young girls understand, you know, how to be ladies, how to be classy. You know, it's not all about this. I know you're the thought breaker. The, what do you say? Thought, heartbreak thought, kid. Thought what are kid. you? Thought break kid. But all of us don't have to be thoughts. And you can't be a thought 
But be a thought with some class and, you know, all this other ghetto stuff that they doing nowadays. I really just, we need to get into our girls and we need to invest in our girls. Invest in women. That's we the have to. Resource. And yeah. so that last part is really about um, self-love and taking care of us and just talking about the power that's inherent in the black woman. So aphrodisiac. Ex- I'm excited about that. I, am see, I, I, I didn't see, see my homeboy Jay is pro black everything. Good. And I didn't share that with him before you came up. Then here, I'm extremely pro black. Yeah. Cause I knew, it, I knew it would come up in the conversation. Like it comes up damn near in every conversation that, that you and I have just personally. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, like I said, our friendship goes back 20 years and you know, we don't just have superficial conversations. Right. Like a lot of times we'll get on the phone and talk about history, mm-hmm. you know, because what people so don't prevalent. know about you is that you are a history buff. I call her the the English language Nazi <laughs> because, <laughs> Kina, you're an English teacher by trade. Yes. So, I mean, I know that, like, so the, the English, English language means so that a English lot class to class was very, very important to you. Oh, absolutely. I was a teacher for 13 years. Um, now I'm actually the director of literacy. So I am um, mm. in charge of a school system to change their literacy practices for uh, black and brown kids. So I'm really excited about that. But, yeah, that, that English class was important to me. What's so crazy is um, my nephew, he's graduating on tomorrow on Sunday, and we were sitting, kicking it, and um, – like high school, is, I mean, everybody needs to go through high school or whatnot. But as far as like what I use from a day to day basis, mm-hmm. um, I use basic algebra because you have to use no basic algebra Logic. in the world. Mm-hmm. And my English classes were the most important. So as a working in corporate America, crafting sentences and paragraphs and having your cohesive sentences correct, and right. paragraphs, um, and it being grammatically correct, like that is what I do on a daily basis to the point where right. people are like, hey, could you um, could you write something for me or whatnot? Like, English is very, very important. I know in, in high school, those are one of the most, the toughest classes, mm-hmm. writing those reports and essays and all that stuff and reading the stuff that it, it's, it may not be, it may not jump out to you, read Macbeth or mm-hmm. all the other books. You know bullshit, what, I, but English is very, very Macbeth important. Macbeth wasn't my shit, but Julius Caesar was my <laughs> motherfucking shit. Of course it was. I love Julius Caesar. <laughs> Two words. <laughs> Et tu brute? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I don't think well, that people words. really think about how important English is. You know, it is the, the only way that you can communicate in America. I mean, let's just be honest. And what we do in schools is we bring things that are not essential to mm-hmm. African-American children, right. and they're not engaged, and therefore they don't learn. Some people are not there for the right reasons. I mean, let's just be real about it. Mm-hmm. And for me, I took that very seriously. I felt as a teacher that whatever I sold into the ground, I was going to get that as a blessing, and I always just took it very seriously. So I made sure that I put Tupac in front of my kids. I Absolutely. made sure that I put Marcus Garvey in front of my kids. I made sure that they read W.E.B. Du Bois. I made sure that they read Malcolm X. I made sure that they read Alice Walker. I made sure that they were you know, with James Baldwin and could be able to articulate that. You know what I'm saying? I did not teach a lot of white stuff unless it was Mark Twain, who I really fuck with, or if it was um, Thomas Jefferson to kind of just show how ridiculous he was. Because I don't know if y'all have ever read the state, um, the what is it, the state of Virginia? Notes on the state of Virginia, that's what it's called. When he talked about how inferior African-Americans were. Definitely teach that. I teach Emmett Till every year and the Nikki Giovanni piece that she wrote to go along with that. Because our history is just important. 
And I don't know who else you're going to see, but you see me, and I'm the one that's going to teach it to you. Mm. And we're going to make sure you can critically think that you can express yourself, and you're going to be ready for college. Mm. And a lot of my kids come back, and they tell me, like, Miss Day, all the other kids are struggling, but I'm not struggling because you were there, and you helped me, and you broke it down for me. So I just think that that's important. I didn't play with those motherfucking kids at all. You better turn in all this work. I'm not the one. We used to have so many arguments (laughs) about why the fuck are you sending these kids home with 10 pages of homework for the weekend? It's the fucking weekend. He will go off on me. You're not going to show a video in class today? No, they've seen too many videos. Never show any in the cover. I mean, that's one of those things where, like, in the real world, you don't get a pass all the time. You know what I mean? Like you don't get a some, pass at all in the real so, world. So why you want me to let them watch videos then? I mean, I'm just saying a Friday at the end of the school year. Ain't no kicking it. We 300 talk, years behind. You talked about how to play spades. <laughs> I talk, did. That you, I taught them how to play spades because, because if you're black logic. and you don't know how to play spades, that's a sin. Dame. But beyond that, <laughs> you're right. This guy don't know. This but, guy. That's his fault. He's I, a hater. But here's the thing. Like, it's logic. Everything about space is logic. Yes. And that makes your brain expand the more logic that you're involved in. So maybe we need to teach you how to because play. Because I'm a... Um, Remember the last time we played a card game? It was Monopoly. Yes. At your it's mama's not a card game. That's not a card That's game. Not a card That's game. a board game. Board. All right, board game. See. And it got pretty fucking intense. <laughs> Monopoly <laughs> always gets intense. Monopoly gets intense. Players. And when you play it with people that... See, the thing about it, hold on, hold on, no, no, let's, (laughs) when you play with people that know how to play, it's, it get real serious, Mm because that Monopoly game over your mama house, it was, I think, me, your mother, your sister, you, and it may have been one other person, your other sister, Mm -hmm. it may have been all five, all five of us on the board. That shit got intense. It, it was a lot of shit talking. It was a lot of because you was trying to be a slumlord and everything I was, else. Just doing the most. I bought the wrong properties, and your mama <laughs> cleaned up on us. I'm saying, bought out. It ain't always got to be board boardwalk and park place. You know what I'm saying? No, yeah. it's a, it's, you got a long way to get, <laughs> long way to go through. Mm, um, but spades point. is definitely it's deductive logic because I'm a spade savant. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and like you should add that to your intro the space <laughs> of all. I'm yes. just saying like I know what you're gonna play Love like it. just by well let me if you around spade players I know what's gonna play next when you playing with a novice they be throwing out anything you know what I'm saying yeah. like <laughs> you, they just be throwing I'm like you can't pop leading with like a ten of hearts and you got like an ace and a king and a queen in your hand like you know they be doing some weird shit mm. Um, but the, the question I did have for you, um, so I know The Colors in Your Boudoir was your first book um, that was published, but is that the first book that you wrote? That is the first book that I wrote. Um, I actually had a lot of just sprawling. I'm kind of like Prince, I believe. Like when I die, I'm probably going to leave a whole bunch of just scattered writing that people will be able to, you know what I mean? I just want to have a vault. And so nah, even though it was the rhymes. first <laughs> complete work, I have like all of these pieces that's just kind of random. Okay. And so I put them together in this collection. Gotcha. And so I'm going to try to do collections as often as I can just to start, you know, in capturing and stuff. And was that something that you always wanted to do? Did you always want to write a book? or I have, I'm just a writer. That's just what I am. I feel very... Um, spiritually connected to nature um and i feel like i just get a lot of empowerment from Mm -hmm. you know the above and i really try to take the talent that he's given me and um glorify 
you know, those talents into the best of my ability. So I write all the time, all day, every day. I write for several um, media outlets in Nashville. So I have my own blog. Like, I just, that's what I do is okay. I write. Plug the blog. What's the name of it? Um, KeenanTheCity.com. And pretty much you can catch me on everything KeenanTheCity. So um, on Twitter, on Instagram, but that's that's what I do. And I talk about urban life and education and um, all those types of things, gentrification, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So speaking of gentrification, because you don't come back home, you come back home a few times a year. And the Detroit that's sprawling now, just ma- mainly downtown. Ain't the same Detroit that we grew up with go, no going more. to Cass. You know, that liquor that liquor store by Cass that used to sell pizza just got sold for $3.2 million. They were the last holdout, like, sort of in that area. And that was the Cass that we knew, like Cass Corridor. Mm-hmm. You know, I would leave football practice, go to the liquor store, get a half gallon of orange juice, three slices of pizza, I'm and love, ride the Grand River bus back home. I got a love-hate relationship with that, though. You know what I'm saying? Because gentrification is one thing, but we shouldn't feel normal and like I want the old old thing back, so to speak. When I can draw, I can leave this prestigious high school and go see a bunch of black, older black men drinking liquor outside on on the corner, and like they be like, I want that back. I don't necessarily want that black right back. I'm I want saying to that li- I want it back. It's just you know it it resonates to me because that's what I remember. Because I know that they building, they not building this new Detroit up. For us, so to speak, hmm. but that don't mean that we can't. So, are you asking about gentrification, and you want me to talk about my thoughts about this? Is please, that what we're saying here? I would. Okay, so I have lived in three gentrified cities: um, Nashville Na- and Detroit, obviously, and then I'm moving to Denver, which is gentrifying. It looks different in all three areas but i think that the goal is exactly the same and let me just try to drill this as much as i can so gentrification by nature is to take an impoverished area and to make it middle class and what always ends up happening is and you have a city like nashville and a city like denver who did not need to do this they were already booming cities but now they want to bring in tourism they want to you know be marketable to middle class white people mm-hmm. so it's not like they just want to turn it to middle class they want to attract white people that have money so what they always do and what's the biggest issue in nashville and i've been working with this with the newspaper and writing about this a whole lot is that they get these areas that's been poor they push the landlords push the black people out it causes a bunch of homelessness mm-hmm. a lot of times the city becomes so high priced that people cannot even live there anymore and so you just see a lot of shacking with families you see a lot of transient children in the school meaning that they're switching schools all the time homelessness gets you know crazy and then violence gets really terrible and so nashville has seen a huge spike in homelessness in um in killings of black teens especially so it's it's starting to get really really bad for black people but it looks great like when you come into the city the city is gorgeous you know white people are coming in white money is trickling in but it's squeezing the black community out i really believe that the end game of gentrification is to rid your city of black people Mm -hmm. period it is to you know Because most of us, and if you think historically about places like Detroit and Nashville, you have places that, you know, are 
historically bound to those areas. This was the African-American street. This was the African-American place that we all went to. This was the juke joint. All that stuff becomes like historical and, you know, they pre- they preserve that area. But then the whole rest of the city is white downtown when it was never like that before. And so if it was really just to be middle class, then they would include black businesses. They would include, you know, um, fair housing and um, affordable housing in these areas. But people can't they can't afford that. So this the this the, the double edge thing I'm talking about, because one um like Detroit used to be when it was two million people here before white flight. Like it used to be a white city, mm-hmm. yeah. and then y'all left, and then we took over, so to speak. And now y'all want to come back. Like y'all won, you shouldn't have left. Mm-hmm. Like you should have just stayed. You ain't want to be well, next racism. to us, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, like you didn't want to be with us all this time after the riots because once we got enough, we we had enough. And I just think it was a blunder on black folks on our. Our parents' generation part, I mm-hmm. think, they really should have invested in Detroit a lot more than they I agree. did, period. I agree. Because now we're just seeing all this stuff being snatched up, and we can't do anything about it. And we are all too cheap or too distrusting with money to say, let's, you know, crowdfund and buy us a few buildings. Like, you know what I'm saying? We just haven't come together as a as a culture to mm-hmm. say, no, we got to stop this. This is our city, you know, but... It's happening all over the place. And Nashville has not never it's never been mostly black, but downtown has always been black. And now it's just straight white and it's weird. Like here you got these two HBCUs down the street and nothing but white people jogging up and down the street. Detroit was in a was in a, a interesting spot because most in most metropolitan areas it costs more money to live in the city than it does in suburbs. And yeah. Detroit was the exact opposite. Like all the high price things were in the suburbs and it was cheap as hell to go get you a, a mm-hmm. house downtown or, or a condo mm-hmm. or an apartment downtown. But within the last 10 years, literally, that has reversed. I have seen people, literally, uh, you have to be invited back for your lease. And we raised the price uh, a third and all those different things. Worse, I, I can't afford to live here anymore. Look, my homeboy bought a condo downtown. With, it's the old morgue for Wayne State University. Okay. And they, they made them into individual I don't want to live there. Yeah, way. it's... Right. Like, <laughs> so many spirits in there, though. I, I, I right. energy no, and I don't. It's the old morgue for, for Wayne State, and he bought one of the units in there. And he bought it, like, right around when the housing market was crumbling. Uh, got a good deal on it. Got it for about 150 back then. Now, the property is worth over a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. He rents it out every month for over four grand a month. And he got people banging on his door, you know, every time somebody move out. So, I mean, you know, we we seeing the turnaround of the city. I like to call the queue line the gentrification jitney because that shit don't don't get you from nowhere (laughs) except downtown to midtown just to show you the development and show you what's going on in the city. And it's also save you a DUI if you're downtown drinking. It's fucking useless, though. (laughs) Like, at least let the queue line get you to Royal Oak or something like they they took the people mover off the rail and put it on the street is what I feel about it. I don't have a problem. With it. I'm, I'm not for or against it. It's just it is. It's just another thing. Like, Fuck it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's um, how I feel about it. Uh, but when you downtown and and you like so for an example, why it can be beneficial to myself, right? So I want to go down to a Lions game and I don't want to pay forty five dollars for parking. I'm gonna park a little bit further, get my ass on the queue line for a dollar or whatever the fuck it is and then save me $39 in parking and I'll just ride down Woodward a little further. Hmm. 
I guess I'm not excited <laughs> because now you got the, li- the lions, the tigers, and the pistons down there. So you gonna I'm, you gonna be down there, and parking is gonna be forty five, fifty dollars. Hell yeah! And I'm not gonna park there. So mm-hmm. let me take my ass down here. Uh, let me go to one of these damn casinos or some shit and park for free, and then get my ass on the queue line and drive down there. I mean, I, and I went to a tigers game like three weeks ago, and I'm parking. For the Tigers game was like damn near forty dollars. I mean, you literally might as well mm-hmm. for a park. You might as well park somewhere and then Uber to the. That's <laughs> to what the I do. Like you know, so I should have Uber last our last show. Cause let me let me say something. I was fucked up off that forty. And even though we sat here like an hour and kicked it after the show, probably about an hour and a half. I was still fucked up. Yeah, you was giggly. Yeah, I got on the road <laughs> and I was driving my hot ass down Greenfield. Hit eight mile. Now I'm driving down eight mile. Police got right behind me. And I know I got two warrants <laughs> and my license is dirty. If I get flicked today, I'm going to jail. Why are you on eight mile? Because I was Stay drunk. On freeway, nigga. I was buzzed. <laughs> I took the streets home. I was buzzed up. Police got right behind me on eight mile. The streets, is, that's not a safe way to get home. Okay, you, well, you I'm, gotta, I'm. It's easier on the freeway. Because when the last time you see the Detroit police officer pull you over on the freeway? Not never. I got pulled over on the freeway you once, but I was doing like 30 over. Yeah, you don't get pulled over on the freeway. That's the safest place to drive. So I'm driving down 8 Mile. <laughs> police officer gets right behind me. State trooper. I'm thinking, I'm already pulling shit out my wallet because I'm thinking when this light turned green, he going to flick me. Stay behind me for about to the next light. I jump over another lane because I'm like, if he going to flick me, I'm just going to make him do it. And I said, I'm going to pull up in the gas station. I know if he followed behind me into the gas station – I know what time it is. I just leave my car there, and I get to call them folks. I was already pulling up my lawyer number on my fucking iPhone. I was going to text you or whatever. So I pull over. He pulls behind me in the next lane, so I know what time it is. The next light, I said, I'm going to pull up into the gas station. I pull into the gas station. He kept going. I really had the Lord behind me that night because Um, I was drunk. The moment a police officer gets behind me, I immediately make a right turn. I don't give a fuck where I'm at. I'm pulling this in my driveway, <laughs> and I'm clean. I don't have no problem. Like, I do not want you behind And me. I have my pistol Which on is me. unfortunate because, like, that is the – I got a CCW. I don't want to get pulled over by the police with a gun in the car. I'm a 100% legal. I don't want to. Right. I don't want to give you – I don't – I right. don't want to. Don't want to give them a reason to to be mm-hmm. asked. I'm turning. Right. I'm turning to the right. <laughs> turning somebody drive away. Uh, are you prepared? Are you prepared for Joe's return? So funny how <laughs> black men have such a different experience with police than we do. I just got pulled over and got a warning today mm. on my way here. So I never get tickets. I never get in trouble. Yeah. I be speeding though. It's different Drunk life driving. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> It's a different life. For, it's uh, different. It we is probably different. talked about this on the on the on on the podcast before, but like just as a black man living in a in the city of Detroit, so say me and you live next door to each other. We both in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, we got two totally different experiences in the same exact neighborhood. Because mm-hmm. when you walk down the street and see a group of niggas. They gonna holler at you, maybe mm-hmm. say some sh- inappropriate shit. Mm-hmm. When I go down there, like it's a whole different energy. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like so, even in yeah, fuck you looking at nigga, right? Like what does nigga get this? Like I just seen on the news last night, twenty um, year old killed a sixteen year old for some Jordans. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, so when you just trying to walk down the street, yeah, we went to our, the mother. Yeah, we, we went, went to school high school with the mother. The mother. That young man. That's horrible. It dog. is horrible. It is, and she told him not to do it, but. 
you know, and I feel the same way. I have a 16-year-old, and he does a lot of stuff with selling things and all that. And I have to tell him, like, you can't just be meeting people up at the park. What you think this is? So, yeah. <laughs> so what they need, if you if you buying and selling things online, do it uh, Monday through Friday between 9 and 6, and do it inside of a bank. Meet me at Comerica inside the bank, because if you bring a gun in the bank, nigga, that's just on you. You know what I'm saying? There's so many cameras there. So, yeah, meet me at the bank, not in the parking lot. Meet me in the lobby of the bank. The bank is not going to kick you out. Yeah. Like, do something or meet me inside of Target. Meet me inside of Myers or, or something like that. Or library or something. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Don't meet advice. a nigga in the parking lot or at somebody's house. That's one good of, advice. One of the cities, I'm not sure it is, has a station set up to meet people that's monitored 24 hours mm. on camera it's lit 24 hours and it's near like the it's near like a park by the police station yeah no, just no. just for the purposes and of they that. need to do that in more cities because more and more people are selling things you online. know online so we have to protect our people as much as possible Man, yeah, I, that was sad yeah and and it's it's good that you mentioned that because like like you I'm raising black men I know you raising you know, two incredible sons, and that's this is the world that they live in now. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the things that I didn't have to worry about growing up. I, I didn't meet a nigga on, on Craigslist and buy some J's from him. I just went to Foot Locker. But, I mean, their their lives are changing at such a rapid pace that the things that we have to warn them about and protect them from are so vastly different than when mm-hmm. we grew up. That's and it's going so fear. fast. Everything is moving so fast. It's something new being created every day that you can't even keep up with what you're supposed to be telling them. Yeah. It's That's crazy. my biggest fear about having children. I don't know what's worse, having a black man, uh, a black son, or a black woman. Because, like, if I have a daughter, I, a I got to protect my daughter from these black men, too. <laughs> because some of these kids who not growing up, like, you know, you got your own stuff in the world, and I got to protect this woman from men because yeah. we but not only that i think that with women growing up we have to be a lot more cognizant of feelings you know what i'm saying we have to have men around that know how to teach women how to like unconditionally love herself and understand what platonic love looks like because if not she is going to search hmm. for love and affection and all that other kind of stuff like seriously and especially if she doesn't have because if of people, it's not received, I mean, right. And if she doesn't have that example, yeah. So I think it's a crapshoot. I think raising black men and black women is going to be increasingly more difficult as we get older. Seriously, mm-hmm. yeah. And and that shapes us, you know, how we grow up with love mm-hmm. or without love shapes us for our entire lives. Mm-hmm. I know people that have grown up without specific parents in their lives or the relationships with those parents. Something's always missing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. You need that balance. I mean, despite what me and my kids' brothers may go through sometimes, I always try and maintain that relationship with my children because I always want them to know their father. I always Mm -hmm. want to be there for them. And I try and do, you know, what I can, the best I can, and make sure that they get that time with me because it's it's important. It's Mm -hmm. extremely important. Mm -hmm. Um. Absolutely, that got deep. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> pause. Uh, so, so I'm gonna put you on a hot seat. When the fuck is the book coming out? Okay, so I don't know, cause I, you know, my problem. I just get into this editing phase, and I just cannot. Do you edit yourself? Go. I do, and then I also have an editor that works behind me. I don't self-publish. I have so far gone with the publishing house, but I think I've, I've been getting encouraged to go the self-publishing way and I just didn't want to because I'm a writer by trade and I just believe in validation and believe in being published through a house 
and you know yeah. calling myself an author because so many people are self-publishing now that you gotta separate yourself from the pack but since I already have a book out that's done that and it's widely available everywhere I think I can try some things with aphrodisiacs and in that way I'm not censored I'll be able to say whatever I want to say in this book and a lot of times when you're editing with the publishing house they will tell you what you can and cannot say and Maybe you need to rephrase this. Why I'm not. One of my best friends, she's a, a editor. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's what she does. And she does a lot of um, editing for uh, Jaquavius and Ashley and all that other stuff. Um, okay. Um, but I was going to ask if you did the self-publishing route or you went through a publisher, and how was that process? The publishing route was very difficult. Um, you have to have... If you don't have, first of all, you have to establish a connection with the literary agent, okay. which takes a long time. You're going to get a whole lot of no's first. And I went probably a whole year and a half of no's. And it was simply because my book is very heavily and unapologetically black. Like, the, it's a black naked woman on the cover. Mm. Like, I wasn't playing with these people. I'm saying what I'm saying, and I mean it. So that was kind of hard for me to find a literary agent. And then when you would find a black literary agent that would take you up, their distribution was really small. So that made it a little difficult. But I ended up finding one that really liked me, and I got a um, good, good distribution. My book is available pretty much everywhere online, Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Nobles, Indie, you name it, Google Books, you name it, it's everywhere. So that's the good thing about going with the publishing house is your distribution is, like, off the chart. And so then that gets me more book signings and all that stuff. I usually have about two book signings a, a month, a month, and the book came out a year ago. Okay. So that's pretty good. But now I think I'm going to try the self-publishing route. I think I'm going to try it and just see what's going to happen it's with like it. It's like going with a major label or selling it out to Trump. Ownership. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's ownership, yeah. and that's pretty much because I've seen how royalties work and you know, I'm like, I sold all these books, but this is the check y'all going to give me. Okay. But it was cool because I was happy to have royalties. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You get them all the time, and I'm going to get them for the rest of my life. So that was good. But if I self-publish, I recoup every single dollar of what I've put out. And so I think I'm going to do that because, like you said, it's all about ownership now. Yeah. So um, a lot of my books I read are digital mm-hmm. um, because I read a lot, and I always want to have all my resources with me. Like, I literally, on my iPad, like, I have in PDF version, PDF format, different books, different research material, whatever. I just always want to have it physically. Mm-hmm. I do still like physical books, page turners or whatnot. Yeah, that's kind of a thing of the past now. Yeah. Um, for you, so d- I'm assuming because we're in 2017, are most of your books downloaded, electronic, or do you still sell fi- a lot of physical copies? Both. Um, okay. It's a paperback version as well as a, a electronic version. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I'm getting ready to start getting into this auto book thing, though. I think okay. that's going to be my next What's move, that? audiobooks, because everybody listens audiobooks. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, okay. they all everybody listens to that, and some people are like, well, I just I would like to hear the book. <laughs> so Google Books does read it out loud, but I would probably you go narrate that route. yourself. No, I don't want to do it, but I'll pay an actor to do it. Hmm. Okay, now you might you know if you do want to do it yourself and you need somewhere to come in. Record oh, the audio. I appreciate that. Yeah, you can always come that back mean here. I can come back. <laughs> yeah, you can always come back. And one thing that you didn't touch on about the book that I think is real dope is that the the picture that you had painted on the book, you painted the picture yourself. I did. Like oh, that's like that's out. part of the creative process. Yes. Like, once you're done with the book, you'll sit down and paint the cover of it. What I think is that's like real dope. dope. Well, thank you. Is that I'm a new Negro anywhere in there? 
No, I wouldn't say it was me. <laughs> I'm saying, is it mentioned anywhere in the book? That, that I, I painted it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that's dope. It's on the front. But I just, I am a new Negro. As Elaine Locke <laughs> said, you know, this burgeoning of like arts and stuff, I totally get into it. I've taught myself how to paint. And so I did paint um, the cover of my book. Dope, dope. Yeah. That's my dope. second book, though, I did um, work you with Up and Counter. Yeah, I'm, I try to work with up and coming artists and different things. So, so how did Dane make the forward of the book? Uh, because can I tell? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because I get into this editing rut. I am a perfectionist for sure, okay. and. I just will keep editing and not thinking it's good enough. And he just kept saying, Kenny, you got to let the take the baby off the, the titty. You got to do it. And so because he did that, I really went through and just said, okay, I'm just going to give it to y'all. And y'all just, and they loved it and took it as he is. I didn't have to change anything. And so that really, so that's why he made the forward because he was really essential to that. And he gave me a lot of great feedback um, from a man's perspective on what I needed to paint these men to be like so like a lot of time we would just like have conversations and just like bounce ideas or things about the book and you know the the thing about our friendship is that it's honest you know I know I can tell Kena some shit and it's not gonna be offensive like she gonna take that shit and really really rock with it and the same thing with her like she's giving me some like real hard honest criticism and feedback about shit and it's good to have like real people and real friends around you and I remember the when she sent me the book in completion I read the book in literally probably about a day and a half and I called her back and I was like look this shit is fucking incredible like what are I was like dumbfounded like what the fuck are you trying to change about it <laughs> and she was like ah, I don't know I want to add some more to this one I want to take away from, and I was like nah just like just let it go because the longer you hold on to it the more you're going to want to change it and when she finally let it go, it was, you know, she put in a forward, like, for me helping her, like, birth the baby in a sense, because it was such a long process. But I knew that when it hit, like, that shit was just going to be good. That's and dope. it's, you know, it's, and it I lived that, up to everything. I think going forward, just talking about the conversation we just had about raising black kids, we have to have more platonic relationships that's not sexual between black men and black women, for mm-hmm. sure. Because that is how we're going to build our communities back up. We don't like to have a lot of dialogue about stuff that really matters. And I think that that's what I really, you know, cherish about the friendship that I have with Damon and a lot of other people who really say, well, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to make this decision and let's be real here, you know. And we just don't have those conversations because everything is dick and pussy and we need to kind of get away from that. You know what I'm saying? And make it where, you know, we can have some real conversations where sex is just not at the crux of the conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. Um, It definitely does. So that's how he made the forward of the book. Yeah, (laughs) that's pretty dope. So like how how does the how does promotion for a book work? Like when do you know when to stop? You know what I mean? Like you album comes out, you go on a promo run for like the first couple of weeks and here go my album. But like for a book, books are they don't really have an expiration date. Like they so w- don't. When do you stop promoting for a particular I never book? the thing about the difference between books and rap, I would say, or music in general, is that sometimes j- music is is dated. You know, mm-hmm. you have the styles and things like that where that song sounds old after a while, whereas books don't really have that. The style is just, you know, what it is, and it can be read forever. We can read a James Baldwin right now, and it still be relevant. So with marketing for books, it is literally just, like, book talks and getting out there and um, going to these different bookstores. And, I have, like I said, I have book signings pretty much everywhere. 
um, different times of the month. If they have book expos and things, I do that. I've done a lot of book, book expos. Um, and then you just really have to, what I've learned from publicists is that you have to kind of, especially as a novice artist, you have to really put yourself out there in other ways. So that's why I picked up freelance writing. I've been able to do some press releases for people and some publicist work. Um, like I said, I write articles and have done some journalist work, um, blogging, having a podcast, those types of things really help you build an uh, audience all over the place where you can kind of market your book. And so as people find out about you through other avenues, then they come to the book, kind of like right, what right. we're doing now. And so my book has been out for a year and a half, and I'm still, it's still kind of new. Like, people are still picking it up and, you know, sending me comments, and that's amazing to me. And that book is going to be relevant for the rest of my life. Like, I'm yeah. really, really, you know, excited about that. I think Aphrodisiacs is going to be a better book, though, just to be honest. Mm-hmm. So so when is the release date? So listen, stop pressing me on this. I'm still editing. <laughs> And so I'm really going to try to push for October. I really wanted to try to get it out this summer, but I'm going to try to do it before the Thanksgiving and Christmas um, thing. I just got to edit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Be a good stock and stuff. Huh? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And my last book came out right before Christmas and was a pretty good stock and stuff. So. Well, I can't wait to read it, actually, the first one as well as the second. Well, I'm excited. I'm yeah. happy to hear what you think. Yeah, it's, it's a good-ass book. Uh, you know, I'm proud of you and everything that you're doing. And... Even on the side of uh, education, like you mentioned the move out to Colorado and be over an entire school district, like literally the things that we used to laugh, joke, and talk about are coming through for your life. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's good to see. Uh, plug us with all your social media information. Where can we find out more about you as the educator, the artist, the author? Give us everything. Okay, so like I said before, keenanthecity.com, and that's K-E-E-N-A, inthecity.com. And pretty much you can catch everything, my blog, my web blog, everything like that. I'm getting ready to start a gentrification series, actually, in all three cities and just kind of documenting what that looks like and breaking it down for people. But um, Twitter, Keenan in the City, Instagram, Keenan in the City, you know, pretty much all that stuff. And the book can be purchased anywhere. It's called The Colors of My Boudoir, and it's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Google Books. So check me out. And okay. thanks so much for having me. I really Absolutely. had a good time. We appreciate you coming Definitely through. Definitely my pleasure. I know you're going to get out this afternoon and turn up. What people don't yes. know about you is that you are a trap music connoisseur. I am, and pretty <laughs> girls love trap music, so you know that next good um, 2 chains come out next week. I'm really excited about that. My 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 <laughs> youngest child, my nine year old, well, my youngest son, my nine year old is a huge Two Chains fan. Okay, Lo- like absolutely loves Chains. You see him on uh, with Joe Button in Academics the other day. Yeah, so he's already he already hit me up. He said, Dad. You know, two chains new album is coming out. <laughs> this is my nine year old. His concert tickets just went on sale. Like yes, yesterday. I, did. I can't yeah. take him to the concert. No, I just can't I, I can't do concert, that. But. Not yet. But well, I'm excited. About maybe this maybe, album. maybe we can finagle a press pass. He would he would lose his shit. <laughs> he would absolutely. I don't lose know. His we gotta shit. reach out to, but I mean, we media ish. Yeah, you yeah. know, media ish. Yeah, <laughs> media ish. Who knows? Yes. But, I wonder. I wonder if Detroit Charlie can hook that up. I bet you Charlie. He said, "Ask for anything." He could point us in the right direction. He said, "Ask for anything." So. He's he's like the Godfather of the city. Right. He's he connected he, to everybody. He said he can make it happen. Yeah, Ooh. so we'll find out. Yeah, so my baby boy has already put me up, Dad. I need the new two chains. Wow. So I'm gonna have to download an edited version 
I can't I don't wait. Wait. music, so you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I'm part of the the in crowd. Here, listen to this. <laughs> I'm part of the in crowd now. Well, uh, I can't wait for it to come out. Hell yeah! But yes, I I enjoy strip clubs and you know things like that. So when I come to Detroit, because they don't have them where I live, mm. so when I come to Detroit, I make sure I go hit a day shift. So that's what I'm gonna do today. Yeah, all, with all <laughs> with all our Sunday fun day crew people. Yes. Shout out to all my cast technicians, class yes. of '99, class of '99, all the way. CT live. fired up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, give out your social media, man. Uh, Dave Gone Wild, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, shit don't change. Uh, Jay Johnson three one three Instagram, Twitter, but most importantly, follow the Shop Talk Podcast uh, page on Instagram, uh, shoptalkpod.com dot com for everything, and uh, find us on page, Facebook, uh, Shop Talk Pod as well. You you said it like you was unsure, because uh, you know Facebook. Uh, they, I wanted to shop. I want everything Shop Talk podcast, but sometimes it's not available, so we got to go the Shop Talk pod route. You know, so. yeah. That little cease and desist thing. I think yeah, have, yeah, it is what it is. Fuck you. <laughs> Sue us. Sue us if you're tough. Uh, we're not going that route. Uh, that's not I know you saying. always take the diplomatic route. And I'm, I'm a, always ready for I'm like a, action. I'm a very diplomatic person in public, so. Uh, we appreciate everybody. Uh, we appreciate you, our guests, for Thank coming in. Thank you for having yeah. me. Absolutely. And um, like we say every week, uh, I'm not saying we the Rockefeller podcast, but we are Jay and Dane. Hell yeah. Peace. <laughs>